0: Hi, this is Jordan Shively. Hi, this is Brock Wilbur. And you're listening to Carrying Into the Void, the podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story that we've heard, and try to find the silver lining or flip it into something that, while possibly not positive, will at least be productive. And today we have a new guest um, with us, Mallory O'Mara.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: You want to tell us a little bit about yourself,
1: Mallory? uh so i am an author a filmmaker and a podcaster i'm the co-host of the weekly show reading glasses where we talk about book culture but not actual books uh, uh my movie Yama Song is coming out next month in theaters uh, i like uh making weird stuff and talking about books
0: well this seems like a perfect fit to launch our season two yes is a uh, book
2: culture better than say comic book culture or movie culture
1: uh well we we fold the comic book culture into the book culture the whole point of reading glasses is we talk about reading but not we don't review books we wanted it to be a show where you didn't have to like tune in every week and be like oh no I didn't read the book I can't listen so we just talk about you know being a book nerd and like weird things that book nerds like like the best library apps and how to get a book back from someone who borrowed it from you without murdering them so we, uh, comic books are included and audiobooks are included. Any, any way that you read and anything that you read is included.
2: It sounds like you found the one angle left on one like pure and good fandom. Like, uh, <laughs> you're, you're touching up against comic books and so you're going to get in there at some point. But, uh, just book people talking about nice libraries. I really appreciate that.
1: <laughs> it is pretty amazing because so, yeah. as a filmmaker and an author, I get a lot of people who tell me to kill myself all the time. So, But the the book people are so nice. They're so lovely. (laughs) No one's ever told me to die. And uh, the reading glasses community is completely incredible. And we've never had any creepers. It's just amazing.
2: I'm glad that your positivity show and our positivity (laughs) show can have a crossover. We
0: have very few viable guest options for this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I am here for you.
0: I do lots of comic book conventions every year just because of my job. And then the few book fairs we do are always the best shows Because the people are there because they love books, not because they love like this weird niche thing that they want to get like ownership over.
1: Yes, it's there's no arguments about boob windows in the book world. It's pretty amazing.
0: They just get excited about graphic design and stuff or paperweight.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic. (laughs) It's it's so wholesome and it's so nice. It's just such a great counterweight to like being online and Twitter. (laughs) So it's really it's a wonderful place to be.
0: I mean, the worst thing you ever hear is like, do you even spot gloss, bro? You know, like
1: <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that we get a little bit of is we get like book. We call them trash babies or books. noots. like people who <laughs> are like, oh, well, audio books aren't really reading and comic books aren't really reading and we don't we don't welcome those people in the community. It's super ableist and it's super garbage and all reading is reading. But because, I think because we call that stuff out so often, those kind of people very rarely sniff around the reading glasses community because they know it's just uh, not that kind of place.
0: They just keep it to themselves. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They just sit around and smell their own farts by themselves or whatever else people like that do.
2: I, I, I tend to escalate when I'm in situations like mm. that. So I feel like I would be the one to be like, and you know what? If it's not in Latin, it doesn't fucking count.
1: Like you gotta,
2: <laughs> the only books are the first books.
1: <laughs> is your are your books even bound in skin, bro? Come on.
2: <laughs> I, I do have a friend that is writing a book that is about a history of books bound Meghan! in human skin, and there
1: are. Yes. Yes. Uh, and there are more
2: examples of that than than I thought there would be.
1: Yes. It's uh yeah. It's it was a thing for a while. Which honestly, that's kind of how I hope to go. Like no <laughs> Viking funeral. I don't need a big expensive casket. Just like make me into a good book.
0: My partner has always said that when I when I die before her, because I obviously am going to, she's gonna she's, <laughs> gonna she's gonna she's gonna lean hard into like the the lesbian witch dowager by herself genre and have my. My um skeleton, like tooled with silver and some fake f- claws put on it, and then put me into a load bearing wall in the house so that in the, some future like um home flipping show is gonna like ex- ex- <laughs> knock that wall down to open up the flow, and then this this like um werewolf skeleton would pop out.
1: I think me and your partner need to be best friends.
0: <laughs> they're pretty cool that's amazing you share you share a love of b d Skinner, so.
1: We do. Uh, yeah, I've very recently, and this actually sort of weirdly tangentially ties into what we're going to be talking about. So I don't watch a lot of TV. Uh, I'm only obsessed with Twin Peaks, and I just watch Twin Peaks over and over again, which you have been watching. Yes, uh, But I started watching X-Files, which I had never seen before, and I have fallen deeply, deeply in love with assistant director Skinner, which your partner is also a big fan of. So we've bonded over our love of, of, our large, of my large responsible husband.
0: They have a framed picture of them on their desk like it's their partner.
1: (laughs) So, well, what's funny is I have a framed picture of Agent Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks, which is actually what this entire episode is about today.
0: Well, cool. So let's get into it. What is your story you're going to tell us about today?
1: So my very weird story that I'm excited to tell you about is the real legend. I guess you could say legend because it's become legendary, but it's like a real story that happened. Uh, it's the story of D.B. Cooper. And, and so in 1971, there was a man who hijacked a plane that was going from Portland to Seattle. And they, no one knows what his actual name is. They He bought the plane ticket under Dan Cooper, and so he just became D.B. Cooper. Uh, but while the flight was going, he hijacked the plane wanted ransom money made them land the plane get everybody all like the civ- like civilians off get the money and then go back in the air and then he just parachuted out with all the money and no one knows what happened to him
0: i mean that seems like a normal plan yeah
1: <laughs> i mean that's how you buy a house today right like that's all that's the only option we have left. seems like it's the ama- only way <laughs> It's just amazing because millennials
2: are killing the air hijacking industry. <laughs>
1: well, it's it's a crazy story for multiple reasons. One, because back then this was before a lot of airplane security stuff. So this was something that like happened on a regular basis, just in the like from 19 up until 1973, when they were like, hey, we should probably start searching people's luggage so they can't bring bazookas and giant knives on the plane. Uh, people would just hijack planes for money.
0: So there was like no security.
1: Yeah, there
2: was there was a period after D.B. Cooper where everyone realized they could probably pull this off. Not many people were right about it, but there was (laughs) uh, this whole rash of them. And it it, my favorite goddamn thing in the world is the normalization of weird stuff. So there was a period of two years there right before, like, uh, 73, where the in-flight magazines started having entire sections on, like, what to do in this city? Should the plane be hijacked and taken there? That's uh, so incredible. like it was. It was vacation guides uh, for uh, what uh-uh. should happen and how. Like to do a vacation, should you suddenly be diverted to, to Havana for That's the weekend? Uh, and I was just like, oh, I fucking love that they reached the point that like consumer magazines were already just being chill about it before they were like, maybe this is a problem. <laughs>
1: welcome to capitalism don't worry about the hijacking <laughs> yes. please please have a nice vacation it's just so crazy because they they did tests and they, i mean the, the case was active for like almost 50 years because they never solved it and they tested it out he would not have been able to survive that fall but they never found his remains and there were other planes in the air at the time like around them to make sure everything was going okay and no like out of five different planes nobody saw him jump out no one actually saw it happen so he's just sort of like out who they like i i hope he's out there some like still just like hanging around doing like living in the mountains with a pile of money
0: do you think any of the people who said they were him are actually him no, no? a guy like that's
1: not <laughs> going to rev- not going to be caught no way this guy's living like a dragon somewhere in a cave <laughs> And I, I have an, a super fondness for this because this is the inspiration for special agent Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks, which is how I found out about it. Because, you know, David Lynch loves him some weird stuff. So I got really, like, obsessed with this idea of this guy who just stole, which I think it's, today it would have been $1.5 million back then. It was, I think it was $200,000 in the 70s. Uh, and just, like, flying through the air with a giant, like, cartoonishly large bag of money.
0: And so what parts do you think? Do you think they took to make the Twin Peaks Cooper?
1: So the Twin Peaks Cooper, I I, I think David Lynch took the fact that I mean it's from the the plane was going from between Portland and Seattle, and all of Twin Peaks takes place like about half an hour outside of Seattle. Uh, so it's just the idea of this strange idiosyncratic man who just sort of appeared in Washington with this like very, you know, these weird mannerisms and he's very, very mysterious. Like, I think that just really spoke to David Lynch and Mark Frost and they had to make him into a character. I don't know if he jumped out of the plane wearing a very like impeccable black suit. <laughs> I like to think that he did, but he, Probably didn't. I I don't know what the best outfit for hijacking a plane is.
0: What I read was that he was wearing a black suit and a tie with a mother of pearl tie clip, which they they found later and like a fancy raincoat fancy and loafers.
1: (laughs) You know what? If you're going to hijack a plane, you got to do it in style.
2: Yeah. He also has another uh, TV tie in or what would have happened. And this is uh, constantly, I guess, my source of D.B. Cooper disappointment. Uh, Is that around the last season of Mad Men, uh, the the theory emerged that like, oh, this is going to end with with uh, our main character uh, being D.B. Cooper. (laughs) Uh, And 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 like the ending of it now is awful to me because like I spent the entire last season being like, you know, Don Draper has a lot of issues here and he's definitely disappeared and reinvented himself once before. But like. I'm just so glad that he has all these toxic people. And I know that one day he'll grab just enough money to live well on forever and jump out of a plane and never talk to anyone ever again. And that's not the ending I got. So in headcanon, Mad Men is still a whole TV show that ends up at the last second being about D.B. Cooper. Uh, That's just for me, I guess. I
1: am so disappointed. Although I will say, you know, how better to take care of yourself than like, you know what, I think I'm just going to get a bunch of money. Jump out of a plane into the woods and never be seen again.
2: Oh, yeah. Hijacking planes is self care. (laughs)
1: A nice way he landed the plane make sure everyone got off and was totally okay didn't hurt anybody like paid for his in like
0: drinks and tipped on him
1: what a nice man
0: <laughs> <Hit your> servers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like,
2: oh my god
1: I get so stressed out and right now I am in a bunch of promotion like I'm in a, like a pro- promotion tornado for my book that comes out next month and I was, when I was like rereading about this the other day in preparation for this episode, I was like, man, that sounds real nice.
2: What if I just never had to be on social media like ever again? Oh, oh, just, it just covers me like a warm blanket.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, it's just because social media is the equivalent. Did you see that story recently about the guy who had just had in, like he was in a, a courtroom and he opened his suit and like tons of bed bugs just flew out of it? <laughs> <show> that that-
2: <laughs> no, oh. no, no one's heard this story. No, no, no one. one has ever heard this story.
1: <laughs> he was in court and he the, the like the court session had to be stopped because there was just like all these bedbugs that poured out of his suit and i feel like that is the equivalent of what social media feels like it's just looking down and like hundreds of thousands of bedbugs are pouring out of your clothes what,
0: was it purposeful bedbugging i don't think so he didn't like pack them into himself and then bring them on purpose
1: i feel like bedbugs must be like cats it must be really hard to get a bunch of bedbugs to do anything. I feel like they were the ones pushing that, not him. So you,
0: so you don't think he weaponized oh. bedbugs?
1: I think they're like cats. I think okay. it's too, you can't control a bedbug. I think they're going to do what they want to do.
0: All I can see
2: in my head is like a guy in a trench coat who like throws his head back and his arms out as the jacket opens and he shouts like,
0: the defense rests, and that's when the bugs <laughs> start flying out like a very Clive Barker courtroom drama. Yeah, I'm just I'm just seeing the the bug demon from Constantine, where it's like.
1: <laughs> <shh>. <laughs> Although that I I must say now, you two fine gentlemen don't know if I am Mallory O'Mara or a hundred thousand bed bugs in a sweater <laughs> in glasses.
0: I assumed bugs in a sweater. <laughs>
2: It doesn't matter which of you it is that wrote this book. The book's really good.
1: Thank you. It's very hard to train those bed bugs to type on a keyboard, but I, I feel like that really is what social media feels like. So I really empathize with DB Cooper and I, even though he probably, they think that there's no way he could have survived that fall. And there's this like, you know, 50 year old mystery about what happened to this guy. I really do hope that he's just like living quietly in a nice cabin in Washington somewhere having his black coffee every morning, reading a fine book and just like not connected to the internet.
2: I, I, I like that the best part of your, uh, your hopeful theory here on where he is, is that he like landed in the woods with all this money and then began a life that he could have begun without <laughs> the money, just being like I'm a woods mountain guy. Like, and he just has all the money there and he's like, well, I did it. I have that. Should I ever want to go back? But like, I'm fine. I'm fine here.
1: <laughs> I feel like sometimes big life changes. You have to kick him off with something. You know, maybe this was his way of like, you there know, we go. And this is his self-care ritual. You know, whenever he has to change his life, he's like, I just have to jump out of a plane with a giant bag of stolen money.
0: It's his, it's his ritual. You know, like you, you ritualize the things you do to get yourself into your daily routine. His is like every couple centuries. Cause I mean, <laughs>
1: This is his version of a bath bomb. Oh, He's just like really taking he's like, you know what will really clear my mind right now? You know what will really get my good vibes back is jumping out of a plane into the into the wilderness after having stolen two hundred thousand dollars in money, like in a in a bag.
0: And just to spice it up, one of my parachutes is gonna be the dummy shoot.
1: Oh god! <laughs> well, I love too that he was. This guy must planned like planned this out so well because he they offered him parachutes and he was like, "No, I don't want military parachutes. Don't give me that garbage. I want a new parachute. I want a civilian parachute." Like the he, the fact that he has like is like a parachute connoisseur clearly means that he's done this before.
0: It was a, it's a when I started reading it, there was so much on it. It was pretty fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Although and I always think like, wow, I'd love for someone to write a book about, you know, D.B. Cooper and what happened to him or where he came from or why he was doing this, which is another amazing question. But I just like to think that it's special agent Dale Cooper. And like, that's how he got to Twin Peaks and was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to start investigating some crimes. Or that was like
0: his, his deep cover that he had to start, you know, like. That was his, like, beginning of his deep cover into the thing.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: No one suspects a policeman that we all know to be definitely a policeman. I have this tape recorder. <laughs> Non-policemen can't have Diane's.
1: <laughs> I do like the thought of Agent Cooper talking to Diane on the tape recorder as he's plummeting to earth. <laughs> Just, like, giving her a quick update about what's going on.
0: Diane, gonna need to send me a new tie pin.
1: I, yeah, I left mine behind. <laughs> oh, no. I'm also set, like, I hope his loafers didn't fall off. I don't feel like those are good. That's good footwear.
0: Oh, I definitely don't think they're good footwear. In my experience, a loafer comes off with a swift kick, so. (laughs) 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 I've never had them fly across a room, embarrass me. (laughs) Jordan, do you want to take us into a carrying into the void? Oh, yeah. Um, All right. So the carrying into the void moment for this episode is this. You know what you need to do. Others will try and lay their stories on top of yours. They will try and make the thing you are planning serve their needs, their desires. But you know this, and you've planned accordingly. What those who want to consume your needs into their own narratives will say will not matter once you've taken that first flying leap. Once all the waiting and scheming is done, once you are no longer sitting quiet and still, Full of everything you were meant to be. Full of everything you will become. Once you have seized the throat of that pulsing, beating moment in your jaws. And dragged it kicking and thrashing into the underbrush. Nothing they try and spin for you will matter. Because you, you will be free. Flying into that dark and tumultuous sky. And they... They, down in the dirt, with their eyes shielded from your glorious moment, they won't even be able to follow your trajectory.
1: That's beautiful.
0: That's the caring moment. (laughs) We have to end it with you saying it that way from now on.
1: That's the caring moment. (laughs) I mean, who else is really living in the moment more than D.B. Cooper? No one. This is a man who carpe fucking VMs. In my mind, he's forever
0: (laughs) in that moment with the rain whipping him as he's flying towards the ground with his arms around a bag of money. That's oh like yeah. His, he suspended in Amber. I mean, especially if he died.
1: I mean, we, we should all really take a page out of DB Cooper's book. Just like, you know, you're stressed out. You have too many emails to answer. Too many things are happening. Just like go, go jump out of a plane.
0: Okay. Um, so should I use like, um, Trip planner or like what's the best way to buy those tickets? You know,
1: (laughs) I actually wouldn't recommend a trip planner because you know those third party programs, they're gonna screw up your plane ticket and you're gonna be extra stressed out at the airport and you're not gonna have a plane to jump out of. Book those book that stuff direct.
2: Sir, would you like a, a you uh, one way or two way? I'd like a halfway ticket, to- <laughs> <laughs> one half of one way. I, prob- <laughs> I don't this? want you to be suspicious about this, but I do just want to play for the gasoline that I use.
1: <laughs> That's what's amazing about this is he's so considerate. Like I just a- love the idea of him, like you know, paying for everything and be like, you know what? Here's a li-, like him leaving just like one small stack of money in his seat. Like this is just to pay for the gas.
0: <laughs> So does anyone have any self-care things that they want to share that they've done recently?
1: I have been, like I said, I've been super, super stressed out. So what I've been trying to do more and more often is turn my phone off at a certain time every night, which I admit is actually sort of easy for me because I live in Los Angeles. So by the time it's eight o'clock here, most of the people in the country have already like gone to bed. So I'm not missing out on a lot of exciting internet stuff, but I've been trying to Put my phone down at eight and not pick it up first thing in the morning, because I feel like touching the Internet is like touching an electric fence. And if you do that as soon as you wake up, you are just like you start your day with anxiety. So I've been trying to not touch it as much.
0: Oh, man, that would be a hard one for me.
1: It's so hard.
0: Probably a good one. But like that's like my addiction is. Looking at it, the like the likes and stuff.
1: <laughs> it's really difficult, but you you forget how uh, how badly it affects you. Like it really can make you super super anxious, and you get into this cycle of things being so 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 fast. It makes you impatient with other parts of your life, and it really when you like put it down, you're like okay. Now, like I'm at the point where at eight o'clock my body's like okay, it's time to relax. Time to relax. And it really, it really, really helps. It does take a little bit because you're first, you're addicted to it. You're like, but what's happening on Twitter? How many people are liking my Instagram posts? But once you get into it, you're like, oh, this is, this is kind of nice.
0: Yeah. That kind of ties into the one I've been trying to do recently is that um, I've been trying to give myself my mind moments of nothingness um, where like for a while I've noticed, like for the last couple of years, I've been treating my anxiety with constant stimuli so that my brain... Mm -hmm. Doesn't think like, you know, like if I'm washing dishes, I'm watching TV or listening to a podcast. If I'm at work prepping, I'm listening to a podcast. I'm always not letting myself think. But I think as someone who is all of us are creative writers, a lot of times those moments where you let the white noise drain from your brain with repetitive tasks is when you start having a lot of your ideas. So now I try to let myself like at least recently, like as I'm washing the dishes, just think my own thoughts for a while instead of thinking other people's
1: thoughts that's like a superhero thing to me that's incredible i don't know i do not know how to embrace the nothing and i would love for you to teach me your ways
0: it's (laughs) not easy once you like i'm like i am addicted to having stimuli in my brain you know like i like if i'm eating i stop working to eat my meal like i turn on like a tv show or something you know it's like But what if like, as you're eating, like the motion of eating is also like generating your brain, you know, and stuff and you let yourself think about that, which then maybe would spiral into an idea for something.
1: Wow. I'm actually going to, I'm going to try that. It's very, that's very, very difficult for me. I think I can't, I don't know if we, do you two work from home as well?
2: I do both. Yes.
1: (laughs) So you know how it is. So yeah, Yeah, sometimes when (laughs) when you're not around other people, I mean, I have a lot of cats, which really helps. Cause I just talk to them like a crazy person. Uh, but you, you know, you're always, I always have music on. I always have a podcast on, so I don't really get those moments of nothing. So I think I'm going to try that.
2: How about you, Brock? Uh, uh, this is always hard because Jordan and I uh, have the exact same set of issues <laughs> and, uh usually go about trying to solve them in opposite ways, which is what's going to happen this week. Cause I've, I've literally in therapy been talking about my addiction to constant stimuli. Uh, but I, I had an idea, and it's been working for me, and it's actually leaning into this, and it is that instead of trying to turn off everything at the end of the night, I am going to sleep uh, with headphones in and listening to um, Games Done Quick speedruns, which is always like uh, people in a room speedrunning a game, but there's always a crowd, so it is this combination of somebody talking about a very specific thing like... Uh, the pixels required to break this thing here. They, they they wind up talking like librarians at some point. And then every once in a while, there's just a punctuation of like applause and positive energy. Uh, and the combination of the two has done wonders for getting me to sleep. Uh, but there has been an unfortunate side effect, which is that there is a streamer uh, who keeps saying things. Uh, he keeps saying this one phrase uh, when he's thanking people for donating. Uh, and he says, good looks. I'd never heard the phrase good looks before. And I was looking it up after because I just kept hearing it and it was annoying me so much. I was like, what does that mean? I looked it up in like urban dictionary and good looks is like short for good looking out or like clutch. So like if you were standing outside a bar and you pulled out your cigarette box and you didn't have any cigarettes left and somebody handed you a cigarette, you're like, hey, good looks. That's the thing. But now Hmm. I've started unironically saying it throughout my day and and my wife hates it. And of course, I have to (laughs) explain it to everyone I say it to. It's like using... Uh, a shortening like set of letters. And then you have to explain like w- what it stands for. Like, I just keep being like good looks and everyone looks at me like, so here's what that means. And also I'm doing this because I hate it and I hated it in a dream. <laughs> oh. So like uh, <laughs> you've been infected maybe it's time to walk this one back. Oh no. Yes. I've been infected with good looks. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, what, what I actually do for that. So I, I have really, really bad anxiety and I also go to therapy for it. Uh, and my, my problem is that my brain never shuts off. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so if I want to go to sleep, what I, what I, like my, my favorite thing to do is I find old timey horror radio shows from the forties and, and I put them on and they're fantastic because the sound quality, isn't that great? Uh, and I just find them on Apple podcasts. Like there, there's, you know, um, uh, a bunch of aggregates of all of them and, um, you just pick one and they don't so there's the sound quality isn't great so you have to really pay attention to it if you want to hear what's happening and the stories are all garbage but they're wonderful cheesy horror garbage which is my favorite kind of garbage Mm -hmm. it's always you know like some woman was buried in a wall and now her ghost is haunting the terrible man and then there's like a weird uh advertisement for brill cream in the middle of it but because the sound quality is so bad i i can't think about anything else i can't start thinking about work and i can't stop i can't start thinking about writing. I have to pay attention to it. And honestly, sometimes that's all my brain needs is like to just turn off for a second and then I will fall asleep.
2: Haunting terrible men is
1: self care. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I,
2: I, I do want to say like, I'm so happy this show is back because sometimes I'll like, hear Jordan or just you talking about some of that. And I'm like, I'm filled with a, a sense of anxiety based on like, yes, that is exactly how I feel it. I don't hear this described out loud. And then when I hear you guys with your solutions and what you're trying Whether or not it's successful, like I'm just, I I can feel like an anxiety raising me as you describe the anxiety. (laughs) And then I feel like a solution washing over. And I always leave this podcast feeling so much better. So I, I hope that that's everyone else's experience out there. If not, we'll stop making it.
1: (laughs) No, I think just talking about it, I think is such a big deal and is so, so helpful. Like uh, some of all of my closest friends, you know, we just talk about it. And we're like, it's just such an we try to normalize it as much as we can. And sometimes just the like you said, hearing someone be like, Oh, yeah, I have anxiety, I go to therapy, this is what I do. You're like, Oh, God, I'm not alone in this horrible spider filled nightmare in my brain. That, like, this is a thing other people have to deal with. This is okay.
0: Yeah, I try to definitely be open about that, especially on like Twitter, where I think people can get a skewed view of what people are like based on like how many followers they have, or if they're doing a lot of projects and think, oh, that person has all their shit together. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah. are you kidding me? Like, anytime <laughs> anyone gives me it gives me a compliment, I feel like they've made a mistake in, like, what is their <laughs> – what what, and, I, and I question their taste. You oh, know? my God.
1: Like- <laughs> yes. So, something that has been – I mean, and I do this almost every single day that I am completely convinced that my book is uh, someone uh, like my book's coming out from an imprint of HarperCollins. And I have this weird, elaborate fear that it's all a joke that I'm actually a terrible writer and that everybody's been lying to me for years. And like the day before my book comes out, they're going to call me up and be like, you know what, Mallory, you aren't a good writer. This whole thing's canceled. And like, so every day I wake up and I turn to my partner and I'm like, what if my book is bad? And he's like, Mallory, that's not going to happen. That's not a thing.
2: We re- we regret to inform you that last night, the night before your release, somebody finally read the book. Oh, Mallory. <laughs> uh,
1: yes, that's a totally like what I think is going to happen, and it's so. Oh my god. It's so weird, but I think there really is like a very specific type of anxiety to making art and putting it out in the world that I think is different now. I think. Before, you know, 50 years ago, you would write a book. And if you didn't read the newspapers, like, or unless someone found you and wrote you a letter, like, you know, you didn't have to think about what people thought of what your work meant to them or that they liked it or not. And now, like, there's people constantly talking to you on every social media platform. And I'm like, oh, God, my book's going to come out. And pe- like, I just have an idea that there's going to be an angry mob of people who are ready to kill me with pitchforks, which is completely not going to happen. But my anxiety tells me that it's going to happen.
2: Well, you do have a book about an angry mob of people with pitchforks, so it it you know, you're not
0: off base.
1: Oh god damn it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I have the version of that where I think people are just being polite to me when they compliment me. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes, it's so crazy. Like my my partner tells me all the time, I'm like, Well, what if they're lying? And and my and he's like, Mallory, you know that your literary agent isn't doing this for fun, right? This is also <laughs> his it's also his job too. And I'm like, Oh, I guess so. And you, you know, you have, you have that moment where your anxiety is trying to grapple with reality, and it can't quite figure out a way to spin whatever that fact is into despair. And it's like, oh I guess so. Fine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'll have a brief moment of happiness. I'm sure I'll come up with a way to ruin it soon.
1: It's really hard. And I think that and the only way that's saving me right now, the only thing that's saving me, because I also have a movie coming out this month uh, is like, so all this stuff is happening. And the only thing that's helping me are these self-care rituals. And if I don't turn my phone off at eight, if I don't get my reading done, if I don't take a deep breath and like spend my morning, like taking vitamins and like, taking care of my body so it doesn't wither into like a writing goblin like I just will work forever and I will drive myself into the ground so I have to have these self-care rituals or I will just become a, like an old sock of a human being
0: yeah I come from a background where I, I studied like a master's of divinity and theology so like we, we talked a lot about the ritualization of beliefs and stuff and now that I that's all bullshit and I don't believe in that anymore, I've definitely I've definitely taken all that and transferred it to like trying to ritualize my environment. Cause I have the opposite of I'll just work forever is like I'll just get so like weirdly apathetic and like anxious that it paralyzes me and I don't do the work I need to do. So I've started like ritualizing my environment. And where I even to the point of being a little over the top where I put things, you know, and I have a label maker and I've labeled like where I put my phone and stuff, because for some reason it soothes my brain. And I don't if I can somewhat control the chaos of my environment, it's one less step I have to do every day to getting to where I can write.
1: Oh my God. I'm the same way. I am so ridiculous about that. I have a schedule book and there's something to me about like waking up in the morning and like, okay, I'm going to do this at this time. This at this time. I'm going to write for this many hours. And it, it really, you hit the nail on the head. It's like, my brain has to do a little bit less work. If everything is in its place and labeled and organized, then I can relax just the tiniest bit. And then I can write.
2: Jordan will post pictures of his schedule book on Twitter, and sometimes I will see that I'm more than one line of it and feel guilty <laughs> that I'm taking up so much of his day. So we have sort of a transference of friend guilt and anxiety here that's probably healthy.
0: I do the bullet journal, which is also the, the shaming list where, like, every day you rewrite your list and you have to rewrite the things that you didn't do the day before. Um, so God. it's 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 like just... Oh, here's the things I failed at. Just write it over and over again until that shame builds up so high you get it done. Is oh, it what no. I think is the, the basis of the bullet journal.
1: <laughs> I didn't know there was secret shame in the bullet journal.
0: Oh, yeah. You put a little arrow next to something from the day before, which means you're migrating it. And to me, that's the shame arrow.
1: Oh, God. <laughs> See, my problem is I'm basically just like, I will, if, if I don't stop myself, like I did this yesterday. I, did my all my stuff for the day and then i'll just start working on my list for the next day until oh, i'm like wait a minute though. mallory <laughs> it's not friday yet holy crow what are you doing that's even worse
0: it's yeah, so- and the worst part is part of my brain went yeah <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you get, go, get going on that next day <laughs> Organizational
2: anxiety is our rock and roll at this point.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing is, I feel like we live in this culture, especially when you're like, you know, under 45, that just glorifies the crunch, you know, and there's a part of you that it it took me a long time to de-glorify crunching. Because, I, you know, there, there's totally a part of me that's like, yeah, I did two days worth of to do st- list stuff in one day when the, uh, the other part of me is like, Mallory, but you also like haven't eaten in eight hours and you haven't seen the sun in two days. And you, you know, you're just living off of like a bottle of water that you have on your desk and like you're not, I'm not taking care of myself. So I I, like I'm kind of excited about the whole like I mean, there's a lot a lot of people are making fun of, you know, self-care being a thing. And, you know, everyone's Instagramming their bath bombs and like all the things that they're doing to calm down. But I'm kind of excited about it because. Oh, I think it's great. Yeah. Like, take care of yourselves, everyone. Like, it's so, you know, you're driving yourself into the ground is not sustainable and it just makes you like a couple of weeks ago, I got to the point where I was so stressed out. Like I just was like spontaneously bursting into tears, just like sadness fireworks all day. And I was, <laughs> oh just, like, my God. And I was just like, Oh my God, I need to stop.
0: I'm a, I'm a almost escapee from the, the professional chef industry, which is like, they glorify like masochism to the extreme. And for decades I bought into it and, The freezer is where you go to cry when your body breaks down, you know, like it's a thing that chefs do is go sit in the freezer on a case of duck fat and cry for like 10 minutes, which is not a good way to work to be a normal part of your workday.
1: No, (laughs) actually, there's a really great book that might be of interest to your listeners called Working Stiff, and it's a memoir of a medical examiner. And she talks in the beginning, the first chapter is all about how she wanted to be a surgeon. But after... passing out on the job multiple times and having the head you know whoever was the head of the surgery department not only not give her any time off but get mad at her for wanting to go take a take a nap even though she had slept in 36 hours and she had the flu she was like you know what I'm gonna go work with dead people and it's like and then how amazing that was for her and like the huge change of being able to just like, work with corpses because their motto is they'll still be dead tomorrow
0: (laughs) yeah that exact fucking thing happened to me I used to be a caterer um, for movie sets and I was working on Fast Five in Puerto Rico and the big back door of a truck swung open and knocked me out and I was laying in the mud in the rain like knocked unconscious and then they just yelled at me for not getting the thing I was going get fast enough
1: oh my god
2: (laughs) I have never heard this story about you. I think the worst part is that you worked on Fast Five. I'm so upset about so many things all of a
0: sudden. Oh, but, but at least Fast Five got me that ridiculous um, Vin Diesel story. Yes. Where yes. I, I have been mocked by Vin Diesel from him being on top of a Segway. So that's a life moment.
1: I mean, if you're going to be mocked by anybody, a, a Segwayed Vin Diesel is really the best way to do it.
0: But yeah, that, that job was like for three years, I did a couple of different movies and I re- literally only have probably like a week's worth of memories from those three years, of, three years of my life. Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. I, I, I have entire like month stretch where I can't remember what happened because of the lack of sleep because yeah. we would, we would get up at 1am and work till 10pm. So we'd work 20 hour stretches, drive like an hour back to your hotel sleep for an hour then get back up. And, I, and the movie is normally a uh, shooting time is normally about six months or so for like the, for the, the onset stuff. And so, so like I after a while, you just quit making memories. Yep. And your body, it's- your body's just working, you know, like it was ridiculous money, which is why I did it because I was starting a publishing company at the time. And that was how I got like the money to start the publishing company. But I don't remember like three years of my life. And that's not good.
1: That's terrifying. Yeah, it's really nuts. And I, I think something that people forget and that I tend to forget is that like you were saying earlier, those moments of nothing and you know, just reading or daydreaming or whatever, that's just as important part of the creative process as crunching and, you know, working for, for so many hours and work and go, go, going. Because it's you need to refuel your creative tank. So I hear so many people like, oh, I feel so guilty if I don't work a certain amount of hours a day. I feel guilty if I don't do this or if I don't do that. But every, it's all part of when you're creative. That's all part of the work is getting the sleep and taking a break and relaxing and thinking and getting new ideas.
0: And then nothing, I think, <laughs> is so key because like I am I've always been a big proponent of if you want to be a writer, you need to fill your mental reservoir with stories that then meld together into this reservoir of like what you're going to tell. And then you you filter it with your own filter back into the world, but you have to give yourself those moments when you're not filling it, when you're filtering, you know, without like constantly be putting other stories on top of what you're trying to filter.
1: Oh yeah. And that's, that's why it's so important. You know, you taking, taking those breaks is doing a huge service to whatever you do. And it's, even though it's hard to remember that I actually got to the point where in my schedule book, I would schedule time for a break. Like I would write, okay, now you have to read for an hour now. It, and it, it sort of like tricked my brain into thinking it was something, because once I put something on a to-do list, I have to do it. So if I was like, <laughs> okay, you gotta, I'm putting relax on my to-do list. And like, so it was like a, it was my anxiety grappling with like, oh man, I don't want to stop, but I put it on the to-do list and I have to cross it off. Cause nothing, nothing makes me happier than crossing something off my to-do list.
0: <laughs> oh yeah so those are some good self-care things
1: <laughs> being being a human that goes outside and drinks water and sleeps is a very very good thing
0: so do we want to talk about all the stuff that you're doing now mallory
1: so many things now now that we've talked about how you shouldn't do so many so many things at once uh i'll tell you all the things <laughs> i'm doing uh so i do uh reading glasses every week with my friend bria grant uh who if you're a horror fan uh she's a writer and director and actress. Uh, and uh, also big reader. Uh, So that comes out every Thursday It's on maximum fun. If you want to listen to us talk about book culture, Uh, I have a movie coming out this month in theaters called Yama song, which is, it's sort of like princess Mononoke meets the dark crystal. It's a live action puppetry film uh, with Whoopi Goldberg, Nathan Fillion, George Takei, Abigail Preslin as voice actors. It's a lot of fun. I'm really excited about it. Um, and I also have my book, which comes out March 5th. It is called The Lady from the Black Lagoon. And it's basically like Julie and Julia, but for monsters. It's a biography. Oh, yes.
2: <laughs> oh, yes.
1: <laughs> it's a biography of a woman named Millicent Patrick. And she designed The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, so, what happened to Millicent was that she was the only woman to ever design a classic universal monster and after she designed it the guy who ran the universal monster shop was so jealous of her getting like all the acclaim for designing this monster that he blacklisted her and fired her and no one knew what happened to her and it was just this her life was just this big question mark and this big mystery for so long and i spent a couple years of my life uh privately investigating her and what happened to her And I found everything and I wrote, wrote her story. And it also, I I talk a a lot about, you know, it's so easy to be like, oh no, the sad thing happened to this woman 60 years ago. What a bummer. (laughs) But what happened to Millicent Patrick is still happening right now. And to to women in every single industry, but especially in the movie industry, especially in the horror industry. So it, as a horror filmmaker, I, I tell some stories of, like things that have happened to me and how you know even though you know Millicent isn't isn't around anymore there are a lot of artists and filmmakers that you can support that these things have happened to
0: That sounds amazing. And and that's and that's available for pre-order right now through all fine booksellers?
1: Yes, you can get it anywhere Indiebound, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, there's also an audiobook available and I did the narration of it. Uh there's a lot of great fish dick jokes in it and a lot of swearing. <laughs>
0: uh
1: I'm really, really proud of it. I'm very, very happy. And uh yeah, if I'm very anxious about it, but I'm very proud.
0: Um have you read the story The Harbor Master no. by Robert W. Chambers? I hadn't either until I, I love listening, which is gonna be my part of my signal boost, listening to the pseudopod podcast, which is like horror stories. And they do they've been doing a bunch of older ones like from 1904. And it's Robert Chambers, the guy who wrote The King in Yellow, but he has the story, which seems to me like it was probably the genesis for all like the the that new Guillermo del Toro movie and the creature from the Black Lagoon about like this fish monster person who like is in love with a woman.
1: Oh, my God. I'm going to have to read that. I love. I mean, I am very, very biased. I love monster stuff. Uh, and, and all creature stuff so i'm gonna have to go check that out and also if your listeners like pseudopod me and my reading glasses co-host bria grant are going to be hosting an episode next month
0: oh my god i'm so nice. excited i didn't know this
1: yeah we're really we i, I we haven't, love
0: haven't, pseudopod
1: well we are we we're gonna be doing a uh oh i don't know if i can say because i don't know when this is coming okay. out but we're going to be doing a story that i'm very excited about and that's going to be a lot of fun
0: so just keep watching listening to pseudopod which i'm sure everyone already is for yes
1: this. Yeah, they're great.
0: And for anyone who wants to go listen to The Harbor Master or read The Harbor Master by Robert W. Chambers, just know Trigger Warning, written in 1904, full of problematic <laughs> shit.
1: Full of problematic shit. Oh, gosh. In case you
0: don't enjoy that stuff.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the old Lovecraft warning.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, on the old Lovecraft. <laughs> Well, cool. Does anyone have things they want a signal boost that like anything can be anything cool that you've been listening to or thinking about and that you think more people should know about?
2: This is a new uh, thing got for got season one, two. Uh, season two, doing it now. Uh, yeah, uh, my signal boost is uh, at the uh, Panic Film Fest last week. I got to see a bunch of really cool new up-and-coming horror films and thrillers and some sci-fi stuff. Uh, some just incredible stuff. And if, if you want some recommendations, uh, I'll probably put them on Twitter later. But uh, one that everyone's sort of a lot of people have had access to in the festival circuit and will finally be on VOD for real uh, this time this month is uh, one cut of the dead, uh, which is a one cut zombie horror film made on no money in Japan. Uh, and every element of its story uh, is just uh, in the meta narrative here is about just like sort of believing in yourself uh, because like the filmmakers did it without knowing what they were doing. And they made a film that is. Uh, it is really good and exceptionally heartfelt and touching, uh, which is uh, a weird thing for it to become. But also like even its uh, release and production like its release became the sort of thing where like it played in one theater uh, in Japan uh, and that was the only place it was gonna be and they sold out the first weekend and then they sold out the second weekend. And that film has been playing at that theater for the last two years now uh, oh my just God. straight because like people keep selling it out. And that's where like attention for it came from. After the first year, people were like, what is this thing that people are showing up for? So like it just keeps being elevated by sort of the love of the people around it. And I think that that uh, shines through in like every frame of what the film itself is. Uh, I walked out and I was just like, wow, I did not fe- uh, think I was going to feel so empowered and good by what was supposed to be a schlocky, uh, low budget horror film, but it's uh, perfect for that. So uh, it it also made news last month because it went up on video on demand on Amazon and it was a bootleg copy. Somebody that didn't own the fucking movie got to put it up and it was up there for like two days. So there's a lot of people that like bought it on Amazon and already watched it that way. Uh, and thank God they brought it down. It's it goes up for real later this month. Please watch it and, you know, buy it from the real filmmakers
0: this time. Oh,
1: my God. That's like my nightmare. Um, My
0: signal boost is going to be the EA Escape Artists family of podcasts. They are responsible for Escape Pod, which is sci-fi, podcastle, fantasy, pseudopod, which is horror, and then Cast of Wonders, which I haven't listened to. But if it's anything like the other ones, it's probably amazing. And they are constantly being nominated for Hugos and Nebulas and they pay all their writers and they pay their narrators. So it's a really great um, podcast family to be listening to if you're looking for more narrative fiction on the Internet. So that's mine.
1: Awesome. Yeah, my, my signal boost is there's an author that I really, really admire and she has a book coming out. Uh, in March. It's called Burnout. Her name is Emily Nagoski. And she got a lot of acclaim for writing a book a few years ago called Come As You Are, which is uh, just a book about sexuality. And it's the funniest title for that ever. But in the book, she had a lot of chapters on stress and how stress is actually a cycle. It's not just like an omnipresent force in your life it's something like it's a cycle that you can complete and that people were that resonated with people so so much and with me i've read the book so many times and i've bought at least 20 copies for people uh so she wrote a whole book about called burnout about stress and the stress cycle and how you can support yourself and take care of yourself and it's out in march and i absolutely cannot wait for it it is uh you it's up for pre-order uh And she's just one, I think, is one of the most important science writers we have today. And it might be one of the most important books of 2019.
0: Well, I think that's going to do it for this first episode of season two. I think this is a great way to start the season.
1: Yay.
2: Mallory, thank you so much for coming to join us. This was awesome and probably three times the length
0: of any episode we've ever done before. So we really enjoyed having you. Oh,
1: my gosh. Thank you so much.
0: I like that we kind of just like went off the normal path and kind of just talked. So. Maybe we'll do more of that going forward. I, I stopped talking because you guys all had really good life advice, and I want to write it down. So.
1: <laughs> hey, it's, it's important stuff to talk about.
0: Well, well, awesome. Um, thank you, everyone out there who's been listening. And remember, keep your hearts dark and true and your teeth sharp and mini, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thank you.
1: Bye.